It was February 1943 when the Army transport ship the USS Dorchester was heading from Newfoundland to Greenland with 902 military and civilians on board. A German torpedo struck the ship and within 20 minutes, the ship sank. While many jumped to lifeboats and life preservers, four military chaplains went to work, tending to the wounded, rescuing the trapped, encouraging the frightened, and praying for them all. These four military chaplains handed out life jackets until they were gone, then took off their own and passed them to others. The four military chaplains, a priest, a rabbi, a Presbyterian minister, and a Baptist minister, linked arms and prayed as they disappeared into the icy water. Each was posthumously awarded a Purple Heart, the Distinguished Honor Cross, and the Chaplain's Medal for Heroism. Military chaplains, we're talking about those who serve while serving on this Action and Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. 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 In ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legute, and this is Action in Ministry. Today, we honor the men and women who have and who are serving in our military, and specifically, we'll hear about how military chaplains play a key role in the faith and well-being of their serving comrades. I want you to meet Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Steve Hokana. He's been serving in the Army for 31 years, 26 of those years as a chaplain. Steve, thank you for your service, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Chaplain Steve, what first drew you to military life? Well, when I was a little boy living in Northern Virginia, we had a neighbor who was a chaplain, and I was uh, a friend of the family, and I went over to his house for the first time, and I saw this symbol on their door, and it was a symbol of the Christian fish, and I asked my buddy, I said, well, well, what's that? You know, we didn't cover that in confirmation yet, and he said, well, that's a symbol of the Christian faith. I said, really? I said, well, what does your dad do? He says, my dad's a chaplain. Mm. I said, really? I said, what is a chaplain? And he says, they are somebody that serves God and their country. And I said, you're kidding me. You can have a job where you serve both God and your country? And right there as a 13-year-old boy, I was kind of thinking, where do I sign up for something cool <laughs> like sounds that? Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> but the validation occurred eventually, you know, as you go through the college. I went to Concordia Bronxville, then I went to Concordia Seminary. And I kept seeing this, this sense of vocatio, the sense of calling to be a chaplain. So it was really an exciting thing, even in my formative years. And, and I tell you what, ever since I put that plow to the ground as a military chaplain, I haven't looked back. So it's been awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about what a military chaplain does? What's their role like? Sure. There's a couple ways to look at it, and sometimes they make it really boring. They say you perform or provide, and that means you perform the services for the men and women under your command. You are their chaplain, their priest, their pastor. And if you can't do the service, for example, a, a pre-Cana program for the Catholic Church, you would get a Catholic priest to do that. You're, you're meeting the spiritual and religious needs of the men and women in your command. What that really means is, is that you get up at about 3.30 in the morning, put on a rucksack, and you go on a 12-mile road march. And then oh. when you're done, you have a big smile on your yeah. face and say, all right, guys, let's go ahead and do a little prayer and, and sing a hymn and glory to God that we finished. And then <laughs> Did you, you say 3 a.m.? Yeah, about 3.30. Okay. It, it takes a long time to do what we call <laughs> taping up your feet and getting all that moleskin in the right spot and— 
all that kind of stretching you need to do, and then and then off you go. Other times you deploy to uh, to foreign countries, and you go with these men and women as they do very dangerous things. And as a chaplain, you work with them and pray with them, and you visit them when they're wounded. And if they are to pass while serving in their country and die in combat, uh, you do all you can to make sure that the unit can understand the loss, but at the same time uh, pick up and carry on in the mission. Mm. So those are some of the things that we do. In addition, we also talk to the commanders. We say, you know, you can do that, but there is a cost of doing that to your own personal integrity as, a, as an officer, as a leader, but also what it will do to your soul. I recommend, sir, that you do something else. Or you'll say, sir, that's the best thing I've ever heard in a long time, and I think you ought to go for it. Hmm. In a lot of military circles, they will sometimes call the chaplain the moral compass of a command. And so wow. that's among some of the things that we do. Doesn't sound like a small job. No, it's a lot of fun. I tell you, I, it, it, it is, it's an absolute hoot. I mean, yeah, you have tough days and, and hard days and sad days, but it's very rewarding and fulfilling. And when you're a chaplain in the United States military, you are a chaplain by identity at your very core. So you are who you are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you're also a model that the men and women under the command will, will look at you and say, how is it that I lead a married life? How is it I be a, a faithful husband? How is it that I study and meditate upon God's word? And it doesn't matter who that person is, what their faith is. Uh, soldiers will come to you, and they'll come to you with some of the craziest stuff, and they want to know, what does God have to say about it? Great. More than just a role of vocation, a calling. It is a calling. It is truly a, a calling that's given, and it's very fulfilling and very rewarding. Uh, and I think also a, a very necessary function that we have in the United States military. You've been at this for a while, 31 years total. Yeah, I've been doing this Army thing uh, for 31 years. Uh, 26 of those years, I was an Army chaplain. So seen a lot of changes. Uh, I haven't added up all the haircuts I've had. <laughs> I haven't added up all the PT tests. haven't quite <laughs> added up all the deployments, although there are documents that tell me how many times I've been deployed. A uh -huh. uh, lot of changes. Uh, but at, at the core of the military is the outstanding men and women. I I, when I got out of the military, when I retired and went to the ministry to the armed forces to, to now be a pastor to our chaplains, uh, I noticed a lot of pejorative talk, negative talk about uh, these young Americans we have. You know, uh, And I, I felt that really odd because in the community that I left in the military, these 18 and 19-year-olds, they would go the extra mile. They would, in a minute, give up their life to save the life of a comrade. Uh, they loved their country and they loved their mission. Uh, having now been retired for a couple of years and working on our church, I understand that there's some issues and challenges, but I think that we should not speak majority of the young people that are willing to volunteer to serve their country. What is it that drives you to keep going in this type of service and ministry? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that there's always a temptation to, to share with you. It's, it's a sincere spiritual vocation of serving God and country, but sometimes it's just curiosity. You never know what your morning's going to bring. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you think you're going to go to physical training in the morning, and it's just going to be a normal day, and you got a plan, and you're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and you're going to head back to the barn by about 1630, 430 at night. 
And then you get to the formation, you find find out that there's a motor vehicle accident and one of the soldiers was severely injured and you take care of that. And then, and then you find out that one of the chaplains under your command, and we do supervise chaplains of different faiths, they have a particular need and they need your help. Uh, the commander might call you and say, hey, Steve, I, I have a, a moral question issue I, I need to ask you about. And so it's amazing that although curiosity is one of the things that can drive you, it's really seeing the love of God and how it's manifested in these various soldier issues. And I find that fascinating. Well, you've mentioned several times about how the like a chaplain plays into like the role of military life. Mm-hmm. I want to hear a little bit more about that. So do chaplains do all of the training? Like, are they all going through basic training? Are they all doing morning marches and drills and things like that as well? Well, in order to be a chaplain, and I want to make sure I answer your question, in order to be a chaplain, it takes uh, four years of college, four years of seminary, and two years as a parish pastor. So when you enter the military, you're already an old man. <laughs> and and the military knows that all branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, they, they all know that. And the Marines get their chaplains from the United States Navy. So what they do is they, is they take you through an officer course. They teach you how to be an officer, how to salute, uh, how to stand, how to put on your uniform. And then what they do is then they do assign you to a unit. And then from there, you're given a supervisory chaplain who looks in on you, make sure you're doing okay. So you got to get that culture down. But what the military really wants from you is they want a pastor. They want someone who, who understands what it means to reach out and touch God's people who need pastoral care. That's what they want. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, again, I, how do you do that? That's mm-hmm. where it gets really crazy and fun. I mean, going to three weeks of airborne school, learning how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I, <laughs> I, I, that made me catch my breath. <laughs> I, you know, the, the Army is uh, a force that likes to go in heavy, powerful, and overwhelming and strong. And one of the ways you do that is if, if you're an enemy force and you go to sleep at night thinking that you're safe and you wake up the next morning and there's a thousand very angry paratroopers to your rear, they're most likely going to surrender. They're just going to call it quits. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the techniques. One of the humorous things I used to tell people when I was in an airborne unit is that all of my jumps were at night because my eyes were closed. <laughs> but, but no, it's not true. But you, you, you jump out of the C-130, the, uh, the, the uh, let's see, the Blackhawks and also the Chinook helicopter. Yeah, we jump out of those. Uh, and then also you jump out of jet aircraft and so on. But, but the, the point of all this is that you have to be where the men and women in your command are at. If, if you're going to sit safely ensconced in a chapel, uh, then you're really violating why the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod made you a chaplain. Mm-hmm. You have to get out. Uh, you visit troop areas. You go to what are called motor pools, big massive garages with tanks and artillery and trucks. And, and you walk among the men and women and you chit-chat with them. You go to the hospital when they get hurt. You, you visit them when they're at home, when, when there's some issues and problems they have at the house. You do marriage retreats with them. Uh, you do programs, even if they're single, on, on how they can be a, a well-adjusted, happy, single individual. We do all that stuff mm-hmm. because, because God is everywhere in the lives and the presence among his people. I'm thinking about the USS Dorchester during World War II um, and how those chaplains did so much more than just be a pastor in uniform. They um, were with the people. They gave their lives. Is this what chaplains sign up for? You know, it's interesting when you see that. First of all, you can't, you can't ever under-talk the courage of men and women under combat. Uh, mm-hmm. Combat is extremely frightening and scary. It is what I would call visceral. It, it, is, it affects sight and sound and smell. It reverberates to your core with fear. So you have to have an ability on one hand to acknowledge 
the fear that, yes, I am afraid, jumping out of airplanes. But, but at the same time, you don't have to respond to the fear. Mm. Now, what these four chaplains had done was absolutely extraordinary. You, you cannot teach that. You cannot train that. The ability to willingly give up, you know, your life vest to someone that you don't know, knowing for certain that you are going to die is absolutely extraordinary. And that's why these four men, these four chaplains, uh, should be highlighted for what they did. I mean, what they did on the USS Dorchester is really something that's just absolutely amazing. To, to willingly give up your life vest, to know that you're going to meet certain death and to meet it slowly but with dignity. Uh, my understanding is they actually sang hymns and songs as they, as they were slowly sinking into mm. the ocean. Yeah. Incredible. What's the impact of the chaplains on the lives of those who are serving in our military? Well, I, I think it's quite extraordinary. On, on the one hand, and if I could talk specifically concerning being Lutheran, is, is we provide baptisms, forgiveness of sins, the Lord's Supper. We do all we can to do that worship service that, that those young folks have seen at their own homes. We want them to stay connected and to be connected. So to reach out and make sure that our Lutheran folks are well taken care of is, is of paramount importance to us. We want that. Uh, the second thing is, is, as chaplains, we can be anywhere from a safety valve to the command because when you talk to a chaplain, what you say to him is absolutely confidential. He cannot share that with anybody. I mean, this thing can go all the way to the Supreme Court, and a chaplain is not allowed to divulge it. We have what's called a seal of confidentiality. Um, in in non-religious settings, it's been acknowledged that to have that ability is very, very helpful to leadership. It helps in prison systems. It helps in the military. It helps in industrial chaplaincy. And it helps, of course, in the Christian church, this thing of confidentiality. So we do bring that, and that's really important. What's the temperature like around religious freedom? Is it Are you free to share the gospel? Is it is it an easy place to do ministry? Yeah, um, it, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I'm— yeah, that's one of the, the things that have changed over the years, you know, this, this whole thing about religious freedom. Uh, chaplains are still protected, and we're well protected. Uh, you know, we, we have that constitution that backs us up. Every lawyer that, that will adjudicate and, and, and watch and observe what happens with religious freedom know that it's really important. One of the, the big battles, too, is to make sure that our, our Lutherans have that ability to verbalize and articulate their faith within that setting. You know, we, we have a chair at the table. We have a voice in the public square, and this is something that, that needs to be maintained. What's really important at this point is, is this is now almost beyond military. This is now Department of Defense. This is now governmental level. So, and I, and I know, Rachel, you're not asking this, but I'm going to take this and say, hey, look, if you're listening, it's very important that, that your listeners maintain vigilance on religious freedom in our country. It can be so easily eroded and then eventually taken away. Mm -hmm. And as chaplains, what we do is, is, you know, we're not there to force religion on anybody. You know, we're there to perform or provide. You know, we're there to nurture the living, to care for the casualties and honor the fallen. And we do that in the context of our faith. There seems to be a misunderstanding that when you become a chaplain, that you're supposed to subordinate your own personal faith, whether it's Lutheran or Baptist or Catholic. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are to be the best Lutheran, the best Presbyterian, the best Methodist, the best Catholic you can be. And that's one of the things that we see to it that you can accomplish. And that's part of the cool thing about this kind of ministry. As somebody who sits in a civilian um role in society. It's so encouraging to hear you say all of that. Yeah. How yeah. have you been personally impacted by your role 
um, as a chaplain and what God has called you to do in your work with the military? Well, it is part of your identity. And so uh, we are who we are. Uh, You know, before I look in a mirror, I see an invisible mirror where when I was in uniform, I always pictured myself as wearing a clerical collar. Now that I'm I'm serving ministry to the armed forces, uh, I still somewhat think that I'm wearing a uniform, but I'm actually wearing a clerical collar. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a a bit of a flip flop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, but it is your identity. Uh, one of the things you'll find veterans struggle with is when they leave the military, the first couple of months, their 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 identity isn't in doubt, but how they integrate that identity into the civilian world is. And so you're going to find books now, and this is a trend. I don't know if this is fact, but the latest trend is. Uh, phrases like I left the tribe mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to find a new tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not all in on that phrase. I think that you're part of a community and you left one community, one culture, and you're going to another. And we in the church need to do what we can to try to integrate these men and women back into our congregations. And we do that by welcoming them, by embracing them, by praying for them while they're in the military and to continue to pray for them while they reintegrate back into the church. I love that you brought that up. I think that we th- we can think about tough days in the military, maybe deployments, or mm-hmm. they get long, or combat is obviously really difficult. But there are other things that maybe are a little less seen, like transitioning back to mm-hmm. civilian life. Like, what do you do when you um, retire, or um, or you're you're transitioning back to life in your community? Um, like those things can be really tough. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what your advice would be to somebody who's having a tough day. What do you do in the midst of a tough situation like this? And what do you encourage people to do when they're struggling? Well, I, I think it's first of all important to identify that you are going through a transition. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if you can take that um, that emotional stuff from one side of the brain and put it into the cognitive side. <laughs> Sorry about using that type of terminology. But, but and what I apologize for is to, I'm trying to find a way to say it more simply, to stop and to think. That says, yes, I'm going through a transition. Yes, I've been through a lot. Yes, I was part of a culture. Uh, one of the things that I uh, initially struggled with is that I was so surprised that my clothes would wear out, mm. my civilian clothes, because I would only wear a suit once a week. Well, <laughs> now I wear a suit just about every day, you know, uh-huh. and it's like, wow, these clothes wear out. I never expected that. <laughs> I, I had no struggle to decide what to wear in the morning. I, I was told what to wear. I was told where to be, and I was told uh, what my job, my purpose was. So when you leave the military, you get, on the one hand, a sense of freedom, but then living with that freedom is a challenge. Uh, I try to stay connected with my, my Army buddies as best I can. Uh, I'm very grateful to Ministry to the Armed Forces, which I'm now the assistant director, because I maintain communication with them for just about my whole 26 years. And so... Uh, I have felt also that the church is very welcoming. Now, this is just an opinion. Some of our vets would say, no, that's not true. But look, your ultimate identity is not soldier, sailor, airman, marine. Mm -hmm. Your ultimate identity is a baptized child of God, redeemed under the umbrella of Christ, and it is to him that you belong. And so I I try to do a little bit of reframing with folks that that are in somewhat of a crisis or you know, going to other types of crutches that are not good and healthy crutches, you know, booze, pornography, drugs, whatever, that's not going to help. Also, I would tell a veteran that it takes time, that Mm -hmm. it will take time for you to transition. And you just have to give that time. Uh, If you don't, if you try to accelerate the process faster, you're going to cause additional anxiety and stress. And then again, this is where the church can help out too. How do we as the civilian population help serve our military service men and women? 
Well, there, there's there's big things and little things. I I, I think uh, among the most important things is sometimes people will say sometimes uncivil things in a civil place. You know, when you go to church and you're back from a combat situation or you're out of the military, asking someone in the military if they ever killed anybody probably isn't appropriate. And I'm saying that in a very wry smile. I, I would not do that. Did you ever kill anybody? Or what did you think about killing people? Did you enjoy it? You know, you you will run into that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, as chaplains, we're non-weapon carriers. We don't we don't carry a weapon. Uh, we have chaplain assistants that, that carry the weapon force that are our protection. So, you know, to ask me a question like that is absolutely silly, you know. Um, the other types of things, too, uh, is, is, again, when you ask somebody what was it like to serve in the military, uh, let them unpackage and tell their story. Uh, I think that for the most part, every story is a sacred story, that in that story, God is present, no matter how awful and terrible it may be, whether it's a traumatic event or I just worked in the motor pool or, you know, I served on a ship and all I did was I was way down in the boiler room. Hey, look, what you did was a service to God and country. You try to go to a war fighting situation. If your truck doesn't start, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to, to put fire on, on an enemy position from a ship and that ship won't move because no one was paying attention to the boiler, uh, you're not going anywhere. So, so that's one thing. The other thing, too, is that, is that the military, because of such a massive society and culture, there are so many different types of operations that the military has and does. Uh, even, even in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have chaplains that are in the Special Forces, the Green Beret. Uh, we have a chaplain that we don't know what continent this guy's on because he's with this particular group of the Special Forces. Uh, we have another chaplain who's a Navy SEAL, who's in the Navy SEALs, who's doing that. But we have a lot of chaplains, basic training chaplains. who are helping young men and women to integrate into the military. Mm -hmm. We have chaplains that are serving in aviation units and tank units and marine amphibious units. They're there to, to meet and be in the presence of God. So among the other things then is to let them tell their story. Let them tell their story. And I will tell you that that most veterans, I don't have a stat, I would say probably 99%, really integrate well back into their culture and society. Mm -hmm. It's just those one or two that seem to have a difficult time of it. And they're the ones that we need to embrace and hold tight. Uh, you can always call us, Ministry to the Armed Forces. Mm -hmm. We'll give you some helpful hints. Uh, matter of fact, we even go to train congregations on how you can integrate with veterans. Um, the end of this month, I'm going to Chicago to help uh, the Comfort Dog Ministry yeah. do some things. Also working with different congregations for military and military affair issues. Uh, we have an organization in Lutheran Church, Missouri, Synod called Operation Barnabas with almost uh, 500 chapters and congregations that reach out and train congregations on how to reach out to veterans. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah. Sounds like there's lots of opportunities. Good stuff. Good yeah. Stuff. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that— um, I heard news, if we can circle back to our story of the four chaplains, that um, there's actually an award called the Four Chaplains Award, and it's just been announced that you are the recipient of this Four Chaplains yeah. Award. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that and, and thankful and a bit overwhelmed by it. Yeah, it's called the Four Chaplain Award, and, and it's in honor of and in mirroring the self-sacrifice of these chaplains. And so... At the Synodical Convention this summer in Florida, uh, I will be presented the Four Chaplains Award as given to me by the United States Army. So pretty cool, huh? It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, well, Chaplain thank Steve. You. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for joining us today. I know personally I have learned a lot just by sitting here and having this Good. chat with you. Um, and I, I'm just grateful that you took the time to come and join us today. It is great to be here. It's wonderful to be with you, Rachel. Thanks. 
When I think about what these chaplains are doing and the service of all of our military men and women, one word immediately comes to mind, sacrifice. They're leaving their homes, their families, their church, their community, all for you, for me. Our freedom in this country comes at their cost, sometimes the cost of their lives. You can't help but see a beautiful reflection of how Christ sacrificed his life for us, for our freedom. What will we do in return? How can you support those who serve us? How will we help share the good news of the gospel to those who are willing to lay down their lives for us? Thank you to all who serve on our behalf. That's Action and Ministry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action and send us an email.